We hope you enjoy this message and that it encourages and inspires you. For more information, head to lifepointwithane.org.au. Well, good morning, onlineers. Good morning, church. How are you? I oh, know, that's a dumb question to ask, isn't it? Because there could be so many different variations. But hopefully you've been encouraged already as we've worshipped and sat under uh, some inspirational words by Phil. Hey, Father, as we come around your word again, we just ask for your spirit to lead us and guide us. Uh, your people are listening in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is uncertain times and there are plenty of things that we aren't certain about. We've just heard that. We've just been uh, guided through that, how the church responds in uncertain times. But every now and then, I get someone asking me, AB, how can I be certain that I'm going to heaven? Have you ever asked yourself that question? How are you certain that you're going to heaven? You know those seasons of extended doubting faith? or disobedience toward God where you're stuck in a sin pattern and in those darkest moments you think, I just wonder, have I still got a spot reserved for me? Has it been revoked? It's a good question to ask. I remember when I became a Christian at eight, it was partly because I had heard uh, someone speak about heaven And that seemed like a far better option what they described this place called hell. In fact, the church I grew up in, the way they described hell, I don't think the demons thought it was a good option. It was just terrifying. So I was all ears in trying to understand how do I secure my spot behind the pearly gates? Even now you might say, AB, how can you be sure? How can you be certain? When your eyelids close for the last time and you do your last breath, how can you be certain that when you cross over from life to death, you get to go to heaven? Does it matter if I'm confident or not? Will it change anything? Does it make any difference to the way I live? Here's what I think. I think some people think they're going to heaven because they go to church. I think some people think they're going to heaven because they're a good person who does good stuff. I think some people think they're going to heaven because they prayed a sinner's prayer once. I think some people think they're going to heaven because they believe in God. And I think some people think they're going to heaven because they feel they deserve to. But here's what I also think. The many people who go to church won't be going to heaven. The many people who do good stuff won't be going to heaven. The many people who pray to sinner's prayer once won't be going to heaven. And many people who feel they deserve to won't be. Do you know And does it even matter? Let me unpack it just a little bit. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says this. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. 
When you believed, dot, 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 dot. In this passage, in this world, there's two residential addresses. In Adam, in Christ. In Adam is the old sinful nature, the old us that wants to live life by our rules, that doesn't like submitting to anyone else, any God, uh, any uh, deity. It's our rules, our agenda. We want to live by that. That's the old sinful nature. But if you're in the in Christ residential address, you're under the control of Jesus, His ownership, His jurisdiction. You live in the realm of His leadership. You submit to it and you desire to do life His way. Here in this passage in Ephesians, he's addressing the people who have switched residential addresses from in Adam to in Christ. And the reason they've switched from in Adam to in Christ is that they heard the message of faith, of truth, the gospel. Gospel in Greek is euangelion, good news. And it wasn't just a word that describes the good news of Jesus. People used it way before the Christians got hold of it. It was good news that a king had conquered another nation, that the other nation's king has died. He's being killed. His head's been cut off. Their herald come back, comes back, stands on the wall. Good news, victory. And the city erupts in celebration and excitement. It is good news. That's great news. Well, just like it is for us. The King has come and He died on the cross that we might have life and life to the full. It's good news and the church erupts and celebrates and whoop whoops all the way home. Okay, here's where it might get a little bit uncomfortable. There are two other words that are used in that little passage besides euangelion. Listening, which is heard and believed. Listening in the Greek in this passage means not only do you hear, but you adjust your behaviour to conform with the request or the command of what you heard. Get this picture. My three children, Charlotte, 16, Lawson, 13, Lacey, 9. They're sitting on a lounge watching their Foxtel movie. Dad from the kitchen says, hey kids, can someone take out the rubbish? Now, Lacey being nine and the youngest just ignores me because she thinks it's not her responsibility. It's further up the food chain. It's their responsibility to take out the rubbish. Lawson, well, he's just eating popcorn. He thinks dad's not going to be asking me. I'm busy eating popcorn. Charlotte, she's the oldest and more responsible. And she'll say, yes, dad. Well, I wait two minutes. Probably not. I'll wait 10 seconds. Did anyone hear me? Yes, dad, says Charlotte. Is she listening? Now I'm not asking whether or not she thinks it's a great idea that the rubbish needs to be taken out. When I say, are you listening? I'm actually asking, are you going to get off the lounge and do it for me? In fact, I'm not asking. I'm saying, off the lounge, get the rubbish, take it to the bin. That is listening. Now it's okay for Charlotte to believe that that's a good idea. Dad, I really believe the rubbish needs to be taken out. Good idea. Well, that's not the belief I'm looking for. 
I'm looking for a belief that says not only is it a good idea, but her responsibility to come and take the rubbish and take it out. Belief also has action. When it comes to the gospel, that's listening. It has belief plus action based on the request or the command that's been given. When it comes to Paul, what is the gospel asking? It's not asking for some intellectual agreement to what the gospel is, some kind of just faith idea that it seems like a good idea. That's not what the belief that the gospel is asking for. Belief here refers to something that changes your behaviour. They listened and they believed and something shifted. So where am I heading with this? If there's no changed behaviour in you since you've proclaimed Jesus as your leader and you as his follower, then it stands to reason that you may not be confident about what happens to you in the next life. Did you really listen and did you believe? Have you really shifted from Adam to Christ? Have you shifted residential address? Matthew chapter seven says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Heaven is a reward for those who choose to align themselves with Jesus. You cannot say, Lord, Lord, and nothing change. It's like, I'm a swimmer, I'm a swimmer, but you never swim. I love to cook, I love to cook, but you're never in the kitchen. I'm an accountant, I'm an accountant, but you don't like numbers. You can't say, you are Lord, you are Lord, and nothing shifts. The good news, the gospel that Jesus is King and all those who submit to His leadership find life, that's great news, but the life is found in the shift. Life eternal, but life here is found in the shift, in the change of the behaviour, the realignment, the movement of address from in Adam to in Christ. Don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting at all that we are saved by what we do. All I'm saying is that a change of behaviour is proof positive that you heard and you believed. There's a second indicator though in this passage. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Now you've probably seen one of those movies where the king wears a signet ring and puts it in wax and he presses it onto a letter or a package that he's gonna send off and that seal says, who's it from? You can't touch this. Only the person that it's addressed to can open it. This is the king's stay away, unless you're the person who it's addressed to. 
When it comes to the Holy Spirit, when you decide to follow Jesus like I have, we have a seal put on us. The king puts his ring into wax and he seals us, telling everybody, both seen and unseen, who we belong to. And the seal that he places in us is the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Now in the Old Testament, God gave the Holy Spirit for a purpose and a season. They never had the privilege of the Holy Spirit living in them forever. Take David, for example. David commits uh, adultery with Bethsaida, Bathsheba, Bathsheba. And then in Psalm 51, verse 11, he says to God, please don't cast me from your presence. Please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I mean, David must have known what we experienced, the power and the presence and the comfort of the Holy Spirit in us. And because of his sin, he says, please, please can I hook up the Holy Spirit? Please don't take him from me. But the Holy Spirit is in us permanently. He doesn't take His Holy Spirit from us. The Holy Spirit instead is a seal. This one's mine. AB's mine. Tim's mine. Judith's mine. Stay away. You can't touch them. Holy Spirit is inside them. You can't take them from me. No one can evict the Holy Spirit from you. No one can change the seal of ownership on you. You belong to the King and the Spirit in you is a seal to prove that you belong to the King. John 10 says this, I give them eternal life. They'll never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. What a powerful thought. That no matter the dark days or the waves of faith that you encounter or those seasons where your hope falters or your sin increases, the Spirit inside you, that whisper that you hear, that's leading you up and out, that's wooing you to righteousness, that's leading you to do what is right, that's, that's guiding you toward the heart of God. That whisper inside you is the Holy Spirit guaranteeing you of your inheritance. And there are times where I need that reassurance. I mean, many of us know what it's like to be let down by a friend, family member, a spouse, where they change their mind. And you deal with the grief of a changed mind. I thought, well, apparently not. The Holy Spirit in you is a seal guaranteeing that God will not change His mind. You are His. He bought you at a price. Yeah, but surely He's seen me in this season. 
Surely he understands the doubts that I have, the fears of concern that are racking me all the way through my body, the sin that I've been involved with. Surely he knows. Can you hear the whisper? Can you feel the tug of the Holy Spirit? Prompting you, guiding you out? It's the seal. It's the promise. It's the guarantee that's inside you. And not just the stuff that we've done in the past and not just the stuff that we've done in the present, but the stuff we're going to do in the future. I know. One of you at least is saying, AB, can you lose your salvation? Now this isn't Phil's thoughts, Neil's thoughts, Lloyd's thoughts, the elders' thoughts. I haven't consulted them on my opinion. This is my opinion. Don't send Phil any emails. My best guess, and let me say guess because there are people who are smarter than me who have written books. My best guess is that some people who fall away never changed their address in the first place. They never moved from Adam to in Christ. They never shifted their allegiance. Remember the story of the farmer who's got a handful of seed and he tosses it out in Matthew 13. And some lands on the rocky, some lands on the path, some lands in the, the weeds and the thorns. And only one out of the four seeds lands on the soil where the roots go in and produce. The other three, although they start the journey, they never finish it. Although they start with a bang and a splutter and a celebration and we get all excited, somewhere down the track, those crows come along and steal it. Or the thorns come along and choke it. The sun comes along and dries it out. If I'm honest, it's probably one of the most heartbreaking things in church life is to witness the excitement of someone who hears the euangelion, the gospel, the good news that someone loves them and died for them and can change everything for them. The penny drops, they pray a prayer, we celebrate. We come alongside them, we encourage them, we support them, we disciple them, we lead them through Alpha, we give them discipleship material, we catch up with them for coffee. And then there's these little just small steps away from innocence. These small steps away from Jesus. And so you catch up with coffee, you try and realign, you go, I think they're realigned, I think we're good to go. And before you know it, they're way over there somewhere. Stop being part of church family, stop coming to Connect Group, don't want to catch up for coffee anymore. And every now and then, Beck and I are in the car and we're chatting away, people we might have caught up with or people we're spending time with trying to help in their faith sometimes and Every now and we get disappointed. And we think, was that another one? Was that one of the three that got pinched this week? Was that one of the three that started really well 
but it's not going to finish. Remember that the Bible tells us that the road toward eternity is really, really, really narrow. It's not a highway. It's not even a Sunshine Coast motorway. It's a dirt road out the back of your Monday. And the Bible says not many people find it. It's not because the Holy Spirit's not wooing. It's not because the Holy Spirit's not got inviting. It's not because His church is not trying. It's just that He told us, He gave us a heads up way back that only one out of the four are going to make it to the end. And you know, the, the part that grieves me, I think, is that the reality is in a you know, size of community like this, some of you aren't going to make it to the end. That makes me so sad. And I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry for the part that we played as a church community that let you down. That it hasn't helped you in your faith. That it hasn't solidified what it is to follow Jesus. That it helped you flourish in your faith. And all I want to encourage you is stay the course. Stay the course. Keep your eyes on Him. You can do it. You can be one of the four, the one out of four. You can choose the narrow path. On the flip side, verse 23 says this. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear, understand, and they produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times. 100, they produce fruit. What kind of fruit are they producing? With the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you find yourself in an increasing measure growing in the fruit of the Spirit, be encouraged. The seal of the Holy Spirit is in you and you can be guaranteed of your inheritance. Even if it's just a little bit. If it's just a little bit you're growing in your impatience, just a little bit you hear the Spirit prompting you. Two steps forward, one step back. He's not asking it's going to be like this. It's like that. But the Spirit's in you, guiding you, and you're growing in your, in your likeness of Jesus is a guarantee of the inheritance that is in you. So what does it matter? What does it matter if you know or not that your eternity is secure? I watched a documentary recently that you've heard me talk about on The Loop called The Free Burma Rangers. And in it, the main character, his name is David, and David and his family go into war-torn countries and their aim is to rescue people who are under fire. People who are basically going to get killed if they don't go in and rescue them. And after this... Um, part where they show us basically David and his team and under sniper fire, they're rescuing a little girl and another couple of adults who just, if they even stand up, they're going to die. They go in and they rescue them. 
And after that, he's reflecting on the path that God's given him to accomplish. And he says this, it's probably one, for me, one of the most profound things in the movie that I've watched. David says this as he reflects on what God's called him to do. He says, I wanna say yes to that line that God has me to do that has no caution lights. It's green. Go, man. As fast as you wanna go. How much faith do you have? Go. The reason David can do that is because he knows no one can touch him. Nothing can touch him. They can touch his body. They can kill his body. But they can never touch his soul. His soul's guaranteed. And the read David can line up the green lights and go as hard as he wants with as much faith that he can muster is because no one can touch his soul. Romans 8, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, neither anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The green lights are lined up. Go as hard as your faith will take you. That's how you change the world. Now, I don't know what it is that God's called you to. I don't know what the green lights in your life are, but you are uniquely designed for a purpose. You're the only one that can do what you can do. And no one can touch your soul. So line up the green lights. (laughs) And as hard as your faith will take you, change the world. So Father, I pray over this amazing congregation that is full of people who know that their souls are secure. Full of people who love and are committed to You. I pray that You continue to whisper into their lives. You continue to lead and guide them that you continue to increase their faith. So as far as those green lights are lined up, they can go. As far as the plan that you've purposed for them is laid out, they can fulfill. Use this church not only for Christmas at Life Point, but in their workplaces, their schoolyards, their universities, their neighbourhoods. May we change the world in Jesus' name. Amen.